are now listening to Real Monsters Podcast with me and Ray. <laughs> Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Real Monsters Podcast. I'm Nate. And I am Ray. Ray, I wanted to start the episode before we get into our topic and say I really enjoyed our past couple of episodes going back through and exploring the content from those underrated directors that we recommended. It was fun to kind of see the reaction from people and hear. I had a couple people direct message me about some of the movies and it was really cool to watch these movies that you recommended for the first time. Yeah, same. I feel like a lot of these movies that I was able to check out, I would have would have never heard of them had it not been because of that episode we did. So I was pretty excited because I had never heard of Thunder Road or any of Jim Cummins' other stuff, which by by the way, I realized why Jim Cummins sounded so familiar when you recommended him at first. That is the name of the voice actor that did Winnie the Pooh. It was, it was fun to be able to check out um, those movies as well for me because I feel like I would have never heard of them had it not been because of that episode that we did. Yes, it was so much fun and I had a blast with it. And I'm excited for today's episode. A lot of you out there don't know, but Ray and I, when we do these like list episodes and we talk about these movies together, we don't give each other a heads up as to what we're going to pick because it's just as fun for us to kind of surprise each other with those picks and to put new material on one another. Yeah, I'm actually really excited because there's this sense of, even though we're planning and we talk and text each other throughout the week to plan these out, there's still this sense of secrecy. So going in blind into some of these episodes is actually really fun because the conversation feels more organic. It just feels like a natural thing, which to you all out there listening, it really is just a natural thing. Well, and then I feel like you, you and I... And I'm sure some of the people listening have suffered from this in in previous situations where you will try to recommend a movie, a book, a record, what have you. And you'll get like a lukewarm response from people like, oh, that's cool. No, that's nice. So it feels really fulfilling when you talk to someone who actually reacts to what you're saying. Because I don't know about you, but in my I've always said this jokingly, but also pretty serious about this. To me, recommending movies and music is a love language to me. So when you hear someone actually respond and react to that, it is all the more fulfilling. I I completely agree with you. And and honestly, one of the things that's really fulfilling to me about the podcast, similar to you, is how I see you react to it. Because there's been so many times in my life where I have similar situations to what you say, where I've like recommended a film or an album or something, and people are just kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, and they kind of just blow it off. But like when those things are such a pivotal part of your life and people would just kind of like push them off and you're like me where you're always really open and receptive to trying new things, listening to new music, watching new movies. It's difficult when you feel like you can't find that. And so having this as a platform and having viewers and listeners out there that I'm sure like us that are like, man, I wish people would just give a shit about what I like. It's refreshing to have this as a platform and to be able to share that with other people. Yeah, definitely. And I hope that the people listening will check out some of these films and also interact with us. I know that we're just starting out and our audience is just starting to grow. But as people are 
checking in with us and talking to us. I really hope that that interaction becomes bigger because I really do enjoy doing this. This isn't just something I'm doing because I'm bored at home. I really legitimately enjoy talking films and getting new film rec recommendations because I know I could just go on to the Netflix section of movies or what have you and just pick something at random. But when you're able to pick something and then turn around and talk to the person that recommended it, it that that sense of excitement feels way more fulfilling than you just you know randomly finding a trailer and watching it that actually leads me to wanting to talk to you about something we both share in ray which is our love for m night Shyamalan. i am an apologist for m night i will watch whatever that man makes good or bad because i just have such a soft spot for the man the whole reason why i brought this up was and we talked about this pre-podcast but as some of you might have seen in the film news this week m night Shyamalan just recently as of yesterday it looks like according to this article wrapped on his newest film knock at the Cabin starring Dave Bautista, Nikki Amuka Bird, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, and Rupert Grint. And so I brought this up to Ray because I know Ray really loves M. Night Shyamalan, despite, you know, he's made some not so great movies, but he's also made some really great films. And why I brought this up to Ray is because he chose as his cinematographer to work with Jaron Blaschke, who has done all the cinematography for every Robert Eggers film. And as you all know, we are Robert Eggers fanboys. The Lighthouse might be my favorite cinematography of any film. But to give you a little background to those who are listening, uh, apparently this Knock at the Cabin film, there hasn't been much released about the plot details but they're saying that it's a horror film it's supposed to give us the feel of like a 90s thriller home invasion movie so i'm really excited about that because ray as we talked about before the podcast and i agree with you completely i think m knight does a better job when he works in these smaller scale environments yeah i feel like when he shines the most is when it's almost like he sets boundaries for himself i don't know if those boundaries come from a smaller budget or just being able to not put so many hats on and just focus as a director. Because I feel like the projects where some of my favorite projects he has done are the more claustrophobic. They don't travel all around the world trying to solve this movie, but they're very character driven and the settings are very minimal. One of my favorite ones of his you have Signs and Split, my two favorite Shyamalan movies. Both of those films don't have a huge setting. Split basically takes place in this bunker. You don't even realize where they're at until the last minutes of the movie. And then Signs is just mostly in, the, in this tiny town. And even most of it happens in the house. I will say one of the things I do love about Shyamalan's films, and I'm sure you can agree, Ray, is yes, they do take place in a very small scale environment, but the world itself is very large and immersive. I mean, you look at a film like Signs, where it all really takes place on this farmhouse and a couple of places surrounding that area, but you're constantly given news feed into what's going on into the rest of the world, establishment into other characters in the town and Signs. As far as Split goes, obviously we build up into this larger world that would lead us into glass even the village you think of like how small scale of a movie that is and it's one environment but once we figure out what's going on that environment increases and shows you how this world interacts with our own world and that's what I like about the quality Shyamalan films is that yes he has this small scale environment but you're never lost 
in this enormous world that he has created around it. And I think he's really, for the most part, a devil in the details guy. I think we talked about this pre-podcast, but where it really slips him up is where he's wearing too many hats in a production and a movie like Old, where I feel like he had a really cool vision for it. It just was executed really poorly. And I think that probably is due to how much he was trying to do. The thing about Shyamalan, and you can never fault him or say this, as a bad thing about him. The man has unique ideas. Oh, 100%. He has really unique ideas. And I feel like every single one of his movies, even if you don't like the movie on the surface, if you dig deep, they have really interesting, thought-provoking ideas. You know, old, although with its flaws and all, the concept of old is, is fascinating. Even the concept of the happening. I know a lot of people roll their eyes because it's it's the trees. But that's the thing. is like, why not? Why can't Mother Nature be sick of us humans not doing what's right and just taking matters into its own hands? I don't know. I feel like even when the movies fall short, he still has a really unique vision and unique set of ideas that unfortunately we were not seeing very often in Hollywood. So I will always support him because of that, because I want to support different and unique ideas. I've always liked M. Night since I was really young and I used to get a lot of shit for liking some of his movies like The Village and Lady in the Water that people don't like as much and that give kind of a harder time to, which I can understand when people see flaws in those films and they have issues with them. I'm not going to like go back and forth on it. But there's also like I've always watched press interviews with M. Night and he seems like genuinely just a person who loves movies and making movies. And also like in this most recent press tour, he did this, I, I can't remember if it was like a Wired interview or what company it was that he did an interview with his mom and he just genuinely seems like a wonderful person who wants to make great movies and sometimes he doesn't make good movies. The Last Airbender is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's a movie that doesn't seem like it understands its source material very well Um, and I wonder if that's just like a case of like David Lynch's Dune where it's a person who loves a property but it's like almost too much to condense into one thing and so you think you have the right idea and you just don't approach it the right way but regardless of like how much I don't like that movie or there's a couple in his I'm like you he has a unique enough vision for his other properties that I get more excited to watch that than another just like film in the Marvel universe. You can blame the man for being a go-getter. He is not waiting for Hollywood to hand him a check. Even if he has to do everything, the man will just get his vision done. If it's flawed, if it falls short, that's unfortunate, obviously, because you want to see filmmakers succeed. But you also can't blame that the man is just going to go out and get what he wants done and he's not going to wait for Hollywood to come calling. He's just going to do it himself. No, and that is really admirable, especially in an environment that, as we talked about in last week's episodes, companies like Netflix aren't even willing to shell out money to filmmakers like Martin Scorsese to make films anymore. And so you as a filmmaker really do have to be proactive to make what you want. And the fact that he never really gives that up and is constantly pushing in that direction. Like I went on his IMDb after we were talking about this knock at the cab 
Cabin movie, he legitimately already has his next project ready. Let's transition out of talking about M. Night Shyamalan as much as we love the man to talking about today's topic. So Ray brought this topic to my attention and I thought that it was a really fun idea and I'm glad that he brought this one up. And so I'm going to kind of let him introduce the topic and kind of get us into it, but we're going to be discussing some summer horror films. So I was thinking the other day now that, you know, I don't know what it's like over there by you, but we're in the triple digits now here in in the Utah area. And as everybody knows that listens to us, we are big horror fans. And to us, horror is not just something we watch on the Halloween week. We watch them year-round. But there are some horror movies that feel more fitting in certain seasons. So I figured we could talk about some of the horror movies we enjoy watching during the summer season. So that's where the idea came from. I just figured, you know, it's getting hot out. Um, I don't know about you, but I want to run into an air-conditioned building as quick as I can. Take off my shoes, put my feet up, get a cold drink, and enjoy a a nice horror movie for for the summertime. Oh, absolutely. Over here in Ohio now, which obviously we have crazy winters here, but we also have pretty brutal summers. We're into like 95, 105 every day, and there's nothing like going outside, getting the yard work done, working around the house, and then saying, hey, I want to go inside and watch a summertime horror film. And I do want to give a disclaimer, and Ray, I don't know about your list, because we haven't shared these beforehand. Not all of my films in my list are explicitly stated as taking place during the summer, but they're all very bright horror movies that take place in an environment that gives you that feeling of summertime. They don't explicitly say summer, but the setting itself tells you everything you need to know. Exactly. Just like that bright in your face. Like I think of a perfect example, which I didn't put on my list, but like the Friday the 13th franchise. Although like, you know, they're at summer camp. There's some of the films that aren't explicitly in the summer, but because of the environment and the cinematography, you're kind of, you feel that it's that time of year. And so those are the movies we're going to get into today. And I believe, believe we've both picked five that's right five of them yep and i i don't know about you ray i didn't really put mine in like a particular order i originally was going to be like i'm going to put my favorite first specific things about each one of these films that i really love so i it's hard for me to put them in a top five so i'm just gonna go with it ray i don't know if your list or did you rank them from least to favorite or is it just kind of like you like all these movies and you're want to recommend them i just love all those movies and i want to recommend them there's no actual list <laughs> so the first pick i'm going to go with and this is just like the low hanging fruit everyone has seen this movie but it doesn't detract from its importance and all of the great things it has done for the genre this movie is actually considered the historically the first blockbuster ever made and I'm talking about Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Yes, it's you can't go talking about summer horror films without talking about Jaws. So incredible about Jaws because the movie was an insane success. Um, I was doing some reading over over the week and had all sorts of production issues with the shark. Um, apparently, and this is something I wish that remained a trope in the horror genre. Apparently, Steven Spielberg said that he would only make this movie if they would allow him to show very little of the shark, if any at all. 
And I think for like the first hour, 45 minutes, something like that, you don't ever see the shark. It's the best part of the film is creating that suspense for you as the viewer to to not see it for so long. And then for when you finally do see it, all that tension for you as a viewer has been created and it, and it makes the movie scarier. To me, it's so interesting that so many of these high-profile composers got their start with horror. You know, you had Howard Shore that did a lot of work with Cronenberg, and you had all these composers, and you have Jim Williams, who everyone talks about Jim Williams because of his work on Jurassic Park, Star Wars, Indiana Jones movies, but he did something so special with the score for Jaws. To the point, I watched on a documentary, Steven Spielberg didn't like the theme at first. He said it was too simplistic. He wanted something bigger. And, you know, John Williams was like, trust me, it's going to work. And Steven Spielberg says, I'm so glad he didn't listen to me because that is one of the most iconic pieces of film score that we have. It's been used over and over again in parody films and just movies in general. And it's clearly super iconic. And I wanted to bring this up, Ray. You know, I just finished film school. The very first class I ever took in film school, the class opened up by showing us the scene in the film, the dolly zoom shot was a camera technique that was created, they say as early as Hitchcock, but it's something that's been used over and over and over again now. But you know the scene where Brody is sitting in the chair on the beach when all the stuff starts going crazy? Yes. What what a dolly zoom shot is, is you, you have the camera on a dolly track and you pull the camera backwards on the dolly track while you zoom in at the same time. And that's why the background of the film starts to compress with the character and creates this almost like ethereal shot where it just makes the tension so much more insane and it worked it it does and that's and the thing i love about this and i'm sure we'll talk about this in a lot of the films that we discussed today but something about horror taking place during the daytime is really unsettling and something like jaws where you know my memories obviously i wasn't alive when this movie came out but my memories of going to the beach with my family and being on the beach like to me, it was such a safe and comfortable place, and I can't imagine seeing this movie in 1975 and being, like, absolutely terrified to ever go to the beach again. Absolutely. So, to me, Jaws is, like, the quintessential summer horror movie, and, you know, it. I would be remiss if we didn't mention Jaws on an episode that's specifically about summer horror films. Absolutely. Jaws is a classic. It's one of the best in Spielberg's filmography. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. I guess that leads me into my fifth pick, which Ray, I think you told me you watched this movie. I'm pretty sure you have. But the movie I want to bring up first actually was released this year, and the movie is Ty West's X. Oh, I want to see that movie. This movie is a film that clearly takes place entirely during the summer, and you have this group of uh, like mid-20s people, early 30s, that decide to rent a cabin. It's not really a cabin. It's kind of like a guest house at this elderly couple's home to film a porno. 
and they start getting killed off one by one and you have very what would be seemingly traditional slasher film that is incredibly subversive and unique because of how it builds up its characters and how it develops its world and it's not cliche like most slashers and it doesn't do a lot of the same things because when we were picking underrated directors Ray I almost picked Ty West because Ty West's filmography is so diverse and unique for a horror filmmaker because all of his films are really original uh but this movie is like a must see in my opinion it's so the beginning of the film all takes place during the daytime and so most of the suspense is similar to like a midsummer or films where you're seeing really horrifying things take place during the day and then it transitions into the evening but like it takes place in Texas, like the heat, you can tell like it's in the 70s, the characters are all like really sweaty and grimy. It has very like Texas Chainsaw Massacre feels. I don't know, I know it's a newer film and I know that it's A24 and a lot of people went and saw it right away, but I was really enamored with this movie. I thought the performances were great and then I found out later A24 has already given Ty West the rights to make the prequel and he's already started filming it, which makes me so excited because the world is a amazing and Ray I don't want to get into talking about it too in detail because I would like you to see that one blind because it is just so good will do I actually having I know the premise of the film but when I read the premise of the film like oh it's another slasher I'll just wait for it to come out on blu-ray to rent it but now I'm really excited so I'm, I'm gonna have to make a point to watch it here within the next you know couple of weeks Ty West is one of those, I don't know if you've seen any of his other films, Ray, but the two big films he's known for are The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers. I don't know if you've seen either one of those. No, I haven't. I saw the trailer for House of the Devil and it didn't really catch my attention. House of the Devil is a very slow and refined uh, sort of like during the satanic panic in the 70s. Ty West is really a detail-oriented director who focuses a lot on like Similar to what we say about Robert Eggers, he's very interested in the time period, he wants to make it accurate, but it's really like an intimate character study amidst this like almost demonology story and it's really good. And then The Innkeepers is a modern day ghost story at a hotel that's going out of business. But all his movies, with the exception of X, which has like a much more high paced energy to it, they're much more slow refined character studies, which I know are things that you really appreciate. I do, I, I wonder why they didn't catch my attention at first but i'm gonna have to repent of my sins and go watch it. yes you will really really enjoy that that film so go check out ty west's x if you haven't seen it and ray i'm stoked to hear your next pick so for my next pick i thought long and hard about it and as you talked about on x how they rent a quote-unquote cabin i just thought the cabin in the woods so i figured why not the cabin in the woods is my second pick I love The Cabin in the Woods. I remember seeing that in the theater and just being like, damn, they don't make enough horror movies like this anymore. The thing with Cabin in the Woods, and full disclosure, I didn't watch it until last year. I don't know why it never caught my attention. I just thought it was like your generic Cabin in the Woods movie. And it turns out it is hilarious. It's very tongue-in-cheek, too. They know they're being silly. They know... Kind of like what Scream did with slasher films. I feel like Kevin in the Woods is doing with these like teenage sexual escapade into the woods. Like they play into all the tropes to such 
awesome degree. And, you know, this was one of Chris Hemsworth's early roles. This is before Thor. He's hysterical in it. I, I love how each one of the young kids is like just an overblown caricature of what we already know in slasher films. And I do like that self-awareness towards the middle of the film where they're starting, like the stoner kid especially, is really starting to like reference specific characters in slasher movies and like how they operate. And obviously I know that he's become a problematic person and that he's not like a good human, but Joss Whedon wrote the script with Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon's touch, you can really feel it in this film. And Drew Goddard went on to do uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, which I still haven't seen. Fantastic film. I still haven't seen it, but I've heard great things about it. But I do love that this movie starts off making you feel a very specific way. And then they do such a great job subverting your expectations and turning it into a disgusting gore fest by the third act that I was really appreciative of. And I love the absurdity of it. I love the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it. I mean, there's a great scene when they're like, we need to stick together. And then some air is pumped into the into the vent ventilation system of the cabin. And Chris Hemsworth goes... No, we should split up. Like, almost like these tropes, we know as an audience is stupid, and they know it's stupid, but they find a way how to incorporate it in the movie, where you're laughing, and it makes sense why it happened in the movie. The, the film, it's just a stroke of genius as far as horror movies go, especially for this time of year. I want to bring up a couple points, Ray, about this movie, because I did not put Cabin in the Woods on my list, but there's two things I want to say. The first one is people need to appreciate Bradley Whitford more because he is fucking phenomenal in this movie. And I feel like everything he's been in, I mean, everybody knows him from Get Out now and people are like, oh, he's in The Handmaid's Tale. But he plays the role in this movie so well. And that payoff about the mermaid with him is just like one of my favorite moments in any movie. I, I agree. He was actually probably my favorite part of the movie. Richard Jenkins is also really great. I mean, I know he's been in the game for a really long time, but the two of them and their rapport together is really good. The next movie I want to talk about is actually a Shudder original film. And the movie I'm going to be talking about is Revenge from Coralie Fargier. Have you seen it? No, I have not. Revenge takes place in the desert, uh, which is there any more of like a summer environment than the hot, disgusting desert? No, that's 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 as good as it gets as far as summer goes. Yeah, so this uh this woman goes on a trip with this guy and they're out together and he's clearly super wealthy. They get out to this remote like he calls it a hunting lodge, but it's almost like this gorgeous multi-million dollar house in the middle of nowhere where he just decides to go hunting and they get out there and you find out that like they're together but he's already married so this woman that he's brought with him is his mistress and she's out and she's enjoying herself and all of a sudden these two guys come to the house and they're hanging out with them and they they give off kind of strange vibes at first you're not super off put because of the way they interact with the the man that's there and they have this night together and they're spending all this time together well in the morning he gets up and says hey i've got to go do this thing i'm gonna leave for a while and she's like that's totally fine well those two guys are still at the house well one of the men ends up raping her and the other guy just kind of lets it happen. She confronts the guy about it and he just blows it off 
and acts like it doesn't matter and she just needs to forget about it. Well, the whole movie is a rape revenge film where they try to kill her and she comes back at them with a vengeance. And I absolutely loved this movie. In this revenge film, when the rape scene takes place, it's all on our character's face and her eyes and her facial expressions to where you're really put into her situation and you feel the genuine terror and horror of what she's going through. Obviously, with this being directed by a woman, she looks at it through a really unique perspective where a lot of these rape revenge films in the past have been directed by men. And it is brutal and unrelenting. And the lead actress, Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz, that's what it is. She is phenomenal and gives such an amazing and unrelenting performance. And if you have a Shudder subscription and you haven't seen it, it's like one of the best Shudder originals that's ever been put on there. Uh, and yeah, it's really like the summertime isolation of being in this desert adds on to just the brutality of the film. Repeat the name of this film again. It's just called Revenge, just one word. I have seen it. As you as soon as you started describing it, I'm like, I have seen this movie. Yes, and it is brutal and unrelenting, and there's so many great scenes. This isn't really a spoiler, but Ray, the scene that I really remember is she finally gets away at one point from them trying to hunt her, and she's crawled into that like cave, and she takes all of those drugs. She's been cut across her stomach or whatever, and she has to like sear it off, and so she heats up that beer can and like sears it shut. To where it's like imprinted on her body. And I was like, man, this is brutal. Yeah, the movie is really brutal. I remember I watched it um, a couple of years ago. And yeah, you're right. It is brutal. And she does give a great performance. I also love the development that they do with her. Because at first, she just comes across as this like bimbo party girl. And it switches completely. Just She does a 180. And then she becomes one of the most brutal and intense characters you will see on one of these revenge movies. And all of the, there's like a brief moment where it gets dark out, but most of the film takes place in the broad daylight. And what's so scary about it is they're literally in the middle of fucking nowhere. So it's not like she can really get a hold of anyone to come help her. She is trapped in this place and can't get out from this location. And that makes it even more intense, in my opinion. And also another thing that I would like to add to it is the score. Um, yes. I feel like the score, you know, you wouldn't think of like this cold synth score in a summer desert movie, but they complement each other so well because the score is so, it feels cold, like it should belong in like some winter movie because of the the very electronic nature of it, but it goes with the movie so well. It really does. And I totally would have, wouldn't have even have thought to talk about the score until you mentioned that, but the score really does elevate the film and keeps you engaged. And yeah, that's why I wanted to mention this movie because I felt like it was just so well-made and not enough people have seen it. Yeah, I definitely would recommend people to go, to go watch it. I, I agree with you. That is a really good pick. I, Wish I would have thought of it. So I'm I'm doing another rewind going back to the classics again. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. In fact, if I would have ranked this list, this one would have been number one because this is my favorite one out of this list. But um, I'm trying to kind of add a little bit of a variety. This movie, 
not only is it one of my all-time favorite movies, it's also my favorite vampire movie, The Lost Boys. You know what's funny, Ray? I actually just re-watched The Lost Boys, and my wife watched it for the first time about three weeks ago. That movie, oh, how I wish I could experience my first time watching The Lost Boys again. Oh, it's it just puts you in this whole other world and in this whole other environment that that's actually in my rewatch. That's probably my favorite part of the film is just the world that Joel Schumacher created when he made this movie. The movie is phenomenal. And for those who, who don't know, what I loved about <laughs> that movie so much and it has all the 80s tropes that you could want you have the 80s hair metal look you have the Corey's Corey Feldman and Corey Haim fashion the humor and here's the thing I know when a lot of people think of teen vampires they think of you know the Twilight brand of vampires back then teen vampires were freaking cool yes the look especially when they transform into their vampires what I like about them is in the original like Bram Stoker's vampire lore, even as early as like Dracula, the whole thing about that character is that he was inviting and that he, you know, women were attracted to him and wanted to be with the character of Dracula because of the inviting nature. And what I love is obviously they casted a lot of like good looking celebrities at the time, but when they transform into the vampires, they are hideously disgusting. And it's a perfect transition. And then you have Kiefer Sutherland as the main vampire. This is early Kiefer Sutherland. I actually have one grievance with the lost boys ray and i have to know if you agree with me or not oh boy eh, probably i probably won't but go ahead i hate whatever the fuck voice Corey feldman is doing i can't it's like he was trying to be rambo or something during the movie where he's like talking like this the whole movie and i'm always like every time i watch it i'm like who gave him the direction of like hey we need you to try to act like you sound like a chain smoking 40 year old man so here's the thing i don't have a problem with that because i grew up watching this movie in spanish so Oh, nice. So you didn't even have to deal with the Corey Feldman voice. <laughs> but I do have to make mention of Bill S. Preston Esquire showing up as one of the Hell vampires. yes. One of my favorite parts of the movie, too. I know he's Alex Winter isn't in it a ton, but like every time he is in it, it's great. And let's talk about Edward Herman's performance as Max, oh. which is a great Great twist that gets me every time I watch the movie. Rest in peace. He's so good in that movie. And the great part is, I feel like you kind of throughout the film are trying to piece together, all right, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the leader of this group? And I would have, like, even as a kid, I watched this the first time when I was like 13. I would have never guessed that that was who it was going to be. And, and lo and behold... I remember we talked in the previous episode about Gilmore Girls briefly. And when I saw him, it was like I had all the warm and fuzzies. Dude, we could do a whole episode about Gilmore Girls. Let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. And that's the thing is, it's like, I know it comes off as this like teenage 80s vampire movie, but it has such a great script. It's so funny. It's so heartfelt. It has such an incredible chemistry with all the characters. And you have one of the greatest lines ever, which is when one of the vampires gets killed off and the kid goes, death by stereo. 
let's not forget to mention too, Ray, being as this is a, a passion of yours, the score to this film, oh, which is goodness. like, it's, it's so memorable and so amazing. And the incorporation, obviously with the actual like needle drop soundtrack moments, it just gives you this immersive environment that like we talked about turbo kid. And I know I've mentioned psycho Gorman, which I actually rewatched yesterday, <laughs> but these movies that try to give us that recreation of that 80s feel almost with the score and the environment. The Lost Boys is like the perfect example of that. Absolutely. And well, and then the soundtrack too. Like I feel like we mentioned a lot of scores, but the soundtrack, you know, that song um, Lost in the Shadows when they're riding in their bikes. The, the, the soundtrack or the Cry Little Sister song. The soundtrack, all the cues. And what I love about the soundtrack too, that it's, it's not like, oh, we're going to put... Motley Crue and Iron Maiden like no they actually use some pretty unknown musicians at least unknown for like the era you know I would have never heard of those musicians had it not been because of that soundtrack and I just oh, I can't say enough good things about the soundtrack. Joel Schumacher would go on and make one of the greatest movies of all time Batman and Robin. <laughs> hey <laughs> hey He's- Joel Nipples Joel on the Schumacher bat suit. gave me Tim Capello shirtless playing the saxophone and I will die happy. Lost Boys is a classic, and it's one that I feel like everybody needs to see at least once. Come on. Absolutely. So, what is your third one? Yeah, so my third pick is a film that I recommend to everyone, and that every single person I've ever recommended this movie to looks at me and says, Nate, what the fuck is wrong with you? And the the film I'm going to be talking about today is from the year 1989, and that is Brian Usna's Society. Have you ever seen this film, Ray? No, but I know what movie you're talking about exactly. So everybody knows about Society because of the last probably like 15 minutes of the film, but no one talks about Society for what makes it so amazing, which is it is the perfect 1980 like late 80s this is like 1989 going into 1990 and to give you a brief synopsis there's this young guy named bill and he lives with his really wealthy family and he feels like that he's a complete outcast so he starts to think that something is off with his family and that he doesn't belong with the rest of his family so he goes to like a psychiatrist talks to a psychiatrist he's like you're just overreacting you're a teenager your your life's getting weird well what ends up happening is he starts to find out that the people in this town aren't all that they say that they are and they're these weird creatures that we're not a hundred percent sure whether they're alien or where they're from and it becomes literally a commentary on society but done so in a way that has that perfect like 80s b schlock value to it there's this girl that he meets from the school who she is very weird and you're given the idea really early on that she probably is one of these creatures and her lines of dialogue are like the funniest fucking things ever, Ray. So, like, one of the first lines of dialogue <laughs> that she has, he goes over to her house, and he ends up sleeping with her, and she's, like, laying in the bed, and her whole body contorts to where her body's laying one direction, but her head and her legs are the other, and he just, like, shakes his head, and she's back to normal. And she gets up, and she's like, would you like me to make you some tea? And he's like, yeah, sure. And she's like, how do you like your tea? cream sugar or do you want me to pee in it 
What? Yes, it has some of the most wonderful lines of dialogue. Third act of this movie. When I tell you that it is one of the most wild, absurd, over-the-top experiences that you'll ever have in a movie, it, it really is just that. And it has some of the best practical effects I've ever seen in a film. If you're into like John Carpenter's The Thing, you'll watch this movie and say, holy shit, this really gives me the vibe that that film does. As far as the creature effect, it obviously has some really not great performances, but everybody talks about that third act, but not enough people talk about the build-up to that third act and just how much fun of a movie it is. And it takes place in Beverly Hills at like the end of the school year right before the summertime so you have like they're at the beach for a lot of the film going out to the pool there's all this like summery environments to it and ray knowing the type of things you like i think that you would love this movie it is an absurdist wild ride that i could talk about for like three hours but it had to be on this list i could not not make this list without putting this movie on it i it think it has been i think i had it on I think Aerovision released it or something. Yeah, Aero Videos put it out. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being so... Just the cover alone, the artwork alone was just so... <laughs> I don't know how to even begin to describe everything surrounding this this film. I know I caught my attention and I know I've been really interested. So I'm going to have to check that out yes the entire third act climax of the film is called the shunting that's all i'm gonna say the shunting. the shunting and i will tell you i showed my wife this movie the first time and she laughed just as much as me and she said there's something wrong with the both of us and i could not agree more oh man it's like, it's perfect. It's a movie that I wish I could go watch in a theater with a bunch of people who have never seen it before and just get their visceral reactions. I'm going to have to do some soul searching and then check it out. So this movie came out at a really interesting time in my life. I went and saw this movie in theaters by myself because nobody wanted to go see it with me. And the movie is Jordan Peele's Us. Yes, an excellent Pick. I absolutely love this movie. And I know that this is going to ruffle some feathers, but I prefer Us over Get Out. Um, to me, Us feels more strictly like it's trying to be versus Get Out kind of had other other layers to it. It obviously has social commentary going on on the movie alone. You have all the tropes. You you have all of the the great horror tropes with... You know, we it's no secret that Jordan Peele is really good at writing scripts. But also, and I don't think people talk about this enough, Us is just filled with horror Easter eggs between the, the Chud cassette tape. Yes, I was gonna I was gonna mention all the videotapes at the beginning that really kinda set the tone for what you're getting in for. Well and then Chud, you know, it's almost giving you a shout out to the underground people you know kind of making that connection with chud but also i'm going along with with the movie that we just talked about a few minutes ago at the very beginning when they're at that beach that's you know jordan peele said on an interview that when he make when the dad makes the comment hey it looks like they're filming a movie by that carousel it was a direct reference to the lost boys as that as that opening scene yeah I, and I, I will say this too, and I'm sure Ray, you'll agree with me, and I know he 
got to do one season of it and it wasn't really critically well received and I know that he didn't write all the episodes or anything but I feel like Jordan Peele is our modern day Rod Serling. He really his films really do remind me of the Twilight Zone. Both Get Out and Us feel like elongated Twilight Zone episodes that Rod Serling was a genius in the time that he was alive. Rod Serling was able to incorporate incredible social commentary into his horror episodes of the Twilight Zone. And I feel like Jordan Peele comes from a background where, you know, you see him in interviews and he's wearing like shining t-shirts. He loves Nightmare on Elm Street. He's a big proponent of horror films and that's like a big part of his life and I love that he so delicately in both of his movies was able to balance really great comedy with really incredible horror like for instance the <laughs> the scene where Elizabeth Moss is trying to get the Amazon Echo to call the police <laughs> which is still I saw that in the theater my wife and I my wife and I loved Get Out so much that we bought tickets to see us the opening weekend because we both love Jordan Peele so much. And I remember seeing that in the theater. The theater was completely packed and our entire theater laughed so hard. And I was just like, this is the beauty of movies. And I love that Jordan Peele has gotten the success that he so rightly deserves because he's making these really thought-provoking, beautiful horror films that a lot of our favorite independent filmmakers are making, but doing so in a way that is also easily accessible for audiences. And I really commend him for that. And I think I would be remiss if we didn't mention an Oscar-worthy performance from Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> oh my God. The fact that she was... I'm just as upset about her not getting nominated for that as I was Tony Collette not getting nominated for Hereditary. There's so many amazing horror performances over like the last 10 years. And the Oscars are a joke anyway. And I've said this before on my YouTube channel, but like it's a huge popularity contest. Her performance is so amazing. And the fact that she's literally playing two entirely different characters. And I even love that creepy voice that she does that just adds to the character so much more and the fact that that element gets explained to us later makes it even better and then the twist ending is incredible it's eerie and also this once again i know i beat this over the head but the score i can't believe that michael abel's that was his second score ever the first one being get out that is insane because that score to that film is amazing and obviously the uh the rendition of i got five on it that plays was stuck in my so... head for so long because so it, it, it accompanies the film so well and there's so many visual sequences of that movie like when the um the duplicate family is standing outside in the middle of the daytime and the fires burning behind them like there's so many specific images in these films or uh when lupita nyong'o's character is younger and she's in the dark in that that house or in the fun house and the camera zooms in on her and her face is just like completely gasping similarly to the shot that they use in Get Out. It's like all of the visuals and the cinematography in Jordan Peele's films, there's so much that sticks with you. Even like that first shot of the duplicate family coming to their house the first time, standing in the driveway where it's just their shadowed silhouettes. Just so much time and effort and energy put into that film from Jordan Peele. My number two film is a movie that really this movie is near and dear to my heart and one of the reasons why I love it so much is because obviously if you've watched my YouTube channel or heard me talk about it, I really love filmmakers who 
can utilize their platforms to convey similar to what you said about get out that they can convey like a social message without it being like super ham fisted and that makes sense and the film i'm going to be talking about today is the 1982 classic the slumber party massacre so one of the things that makes the slumber party massacre so unique is in 1982 the slumber party massacre was directed by a woman amy holden jones and one of the things that i appreciate so much about this film is obviously even in a lot of the slasher films i love from the late 70s and early 80s a lot of those films sexualize women and put them through like a, a very specific lens because let's be realistic, the filmmakers are trying to sell tickets. This movie in particular is so good because it takes these female characters. It's the end of school year. They're about to go into the summer. One of our lead characters, her parents are going out of town for the weekend, and she's going to have this house to herself so that her friends can come over and that they can have a slumber party together. Well, the best part about it is, rather than it just be like this slumber party of these girls sitting around and talking about boys the whole time, literally the first line of dialogue they have, Ray, they're talking about the Dodgers baseball game. They're all trying to figure out who hit the home run in the Dodgers baseball game. And that's like the whole part of their conversation. Well, there's so much more done to where like the way that these female characters are viewed. And it's not like a movie that's saying, hey, these filmmakers were bad because they painted women sexually. Like there's still a lot of nudity in this film. There's still a lot of the tropes of 80s horror movies, but it's done through such a specific lens. And like even the murderer who, if, if this makes you laugh, Ray, the murder weapon he uses is a very phallic drill. And it's, it's, it's huge. And there's so many shots. Even if you look at the poster online, it's the drill coming down through his pants, which it's like, it makes sense. This female director was like, Hey, I'm going to make a really amazing slasher movie that that also criticizes the male gaze through a lot of these films. And the thing is, despite the political elements to it and looking at it through a feminist lens, it's just a really fucking amazing slasher movie. It's tense. The cinematography is incredible. The performances are great. It's an hour and 17 minute runtime. And believe it or not, Ray, in October last year, it was the number one featured film on the Criterion channels page. I was so hopeful that that meant that Criterion was going to like, put a release of it out but it is such a phenomenal slasher film that actually led into two really amazingly schlocky sequels that are not as good as the original but they're still super fun to watch and it's a movie that's really near and dear to my heart because it is just so it, it's done on such a small budget but the budget is executed so well with like the grisly kills in this movie. And it's such an amazing film that I feel like not enough people have paid their due diligence to. And it's one ray that like if you're going to take anything away from this list I've given you today, watch The Slumber Party Massacre. It's totally worth it. It's been on my list too. It's one that I know you will love for a fact. It will be in my rotation of summer horror films and horror films I watch around October for the rest of my life. So that segues into Ray. What's going to be that number one pick? Because I got to be honest, I'm really excited to hear what you have to choose. So I saved this one on purpose for number one because I feel like my list is pretty pretty basic. I feel like the ones I've shared, most people have either seen them or heard of them. This is the only one where I don't think enough people, I'm pretty sure you have, but I don't think enough people have seen this movie. This movie came out in 2010 and it stars... Two very funny guys, Tyler Labine and Alan Tudyk. 
and I am talking about Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I love Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Tucker and Dale versus Evil, for those who don't know, it's a horror comedy, and these teenagers are on a summer vacation, um, just traveling to the woods, and they run into these, like, hillbilly types, and they're really scared of them. They think they're these, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre type hillbillies. They're actually these, like, really sweet and kind of dumb guys, and... While they're out fishing, one of these teenagers um, falls into the lake and they save her from drowning. She's played by Katrina Bowden, I believe is her name. And they rescue her, but the group of teenagers think that they have kidnapped her. So then it becomes this hilarious series of misunderstandings between these teenagers that think they're up against this evil hillbillies versus these two hillbillies who are just trying to do the right thing and take care of this girl. They think that these teenagers are like a suicide cult and it's hilarious and the one kid throws himself into the wood chipper i don't think i've laughed that hard into in a movie in a very long time but yes this movie it's like what you talked about with cabin in the woods it's like a perfect subversion of what you think you're getting into because the way they paint it out at first is like oh you're getting into like an evil dead type of scenario but it's really not it's it's completely the opposite of that and i'm grateful that it's like that just to add some context that on that scene that scene is on the trailer so it's not a spoiler but alan tudyk is he He's literally just shredding a bunch of wood chips and he bends down to pick up the tree trunk. Meanwhile, this kid is stalking him from behind and supposedly this kid is going to shove Alan Tudyk into the wood chipper. And when Alan Tudyk bends down, the kid jumps over him and lands in the wood chipper by accident. Alan Tudyk is actually trying to save him to pull him out and you just see Alan Tudyk like scream crying while he's holding the legs of this kid just like in tears because this kid is being chopped to pieces. I also love the scene where Alan Tudyk's like chainsaw malfunctions and that kid thinks he's chasing after him and he runs into like that log. It's a hilarious movie because the whole time it's just a subversion of expectations because yeah, you think you're going into this evil, they even add like this ominous music for them at first and then you realize they're just these best friends that want to be out in the woods. Ray, you can correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a few years since I've seen this movie, but don't they like think that they're like Alan Tudyk and the other guy are like forcing her to do like manual labor like chopping logs and shit one of the guys he is digging I think they want to build something so he's digging a hole and the girl Allison she's like oh let me help you you know because she wants she's grateful that they're taking care of her but he's digging this hole to build something I forget what it is that he's building but they think that he's making her dig her own grave that was a really good pick, Ray. That was one I didn't even think of. Because, like, originally when I was putting this list together, I was like, I'm going to put Evil Dead 2 on there because it's my favorite horror movie of all time. Tucker and Dale's a movie I feel like doesn't get enough appreciation, and I'm glad that it ended up on your list because it's so good. Alrighty, Well, it is time. It's time for my number one. So... This number one film is, in my opinion, the quintessential 1980s slasher film, probably one of my favorites of all time, uh, and it's not necessarily the best made movie, it's shot on a really low budget. You can actually, Ray, if you have not seen this film, you can watch it in its entirety on YouTube. 
for free. Um, and that's how I watched it the first time. But the film I'm going to be talking about is the 1983 slasher classic Sleepaway Camp. Have you ever seen this movie? No, but I somehow knew this was coming. Yes. So Sleepaway Camp is uh, directed by Robert Hiltzik. And it is a movie that opens with a family playing out on a beach. And it's a dad and his two children. And a boat from the camp across the way comes and ends up crashing into their boat and killing the dad and one of the siblings who you don't know which sibling dies. And the movie jumps forward to like 12 or 13 years later and you have Angela, the young girl who survived the boat crash, and her cousin who are living with their really eccentric aunt who sends them to sleepaway camp for the summertime. And they get there, and someone starts killing off the campers left and right. And it also, at the same time, has this plot line of this eccentric camp counselor, rather than caring that these kids are dying at his camp, is just wanting to cover it up to make sure he doesn't get closed down. And it is like one of my favorite side arcs in a movie. And there is a really insane third act twist that I don't want to spoil for anyone out there who is a sleepaway camp virgin. Uh, If you look it up online, pretty much most of the posters will spoil it for you, but it is like one of the most wild and insane films I've ever seen. I was actually lucky enough to, about a month ago, go to a theater in my town in Columbus to see the lead actress, Felissa Rose, who plays Angela, come and do a Q&A with everybody while we watch the movie. And it made me grow an even fonder appreciation for it. Obviously, talking about summer horror films, a lot of us, when we were kids, went to crappy summer camps. I know being the child of a minister, I went to a lot of shitty Christian camps when I was growing up. And so this movie like took me back to those days with the thought of like, hey, someone's killing off these kids left and right. And it's just one of those like fun slasher films that has a really unique story. And uh, listening to Felissa Rose talk about it a little bit and hearing like Robert Hiltzik's passion for it is what made me appreciate it. And she talked about like shooting on set and how they were all a big family. Like one of the things I joked about (laughs) a lot of these 80s horror directors being sex perverts ray but there the the opening scene the kids are all going running into the camp and the chef who works at the camp is literally like they imply that he's a pedophile and he like licks his lips when these kids are coming down and calls them like bald chickens or something and the other chef looks at him and he goes now most of them are, aren't even old enough to walk. And he's like, I don't care. And he ends up getting his just desserts, which is good. Immediately, right out of the gate, you feel really filthy. And Felissa Rose was like, it was so funny when that guy got cast because he was like the nicest human being in the world. And he took this role to be this dirty, disgusting human. But it's really one of those movies that like, if you're a fan of the horror genre and you like slasher movies, it's, in my opinion, a must watch. It's so good. And to see that movie on a big screen, with Felissa Rose in attendance who is like similarly to like a Barbara Crampton who she's so involved in the horror community and is really about like promoting new filmmakers starring in a lot of movies to kind of get different people's names out there and it's just such a fun film and I can't recommend it enough great so that was our our list I'm really excited I feel like I have a lot of homework to do now 
Yes, I'm really glad that we recommended the movies that we did. I feel like we were able to cover a lot of ground as far as like different things out there for our listeners who haven't experienced some of these movies or want to find something new or hell, even hearing Ray or I mention a film that you've already watched that you're just excited to revisit. I know like Ray, when you mentioned Summer of 84, I wanted to like jump right on and watch that again in last week's episode. So it's cool. Like you were talking about us at great length and that's a movie I've been wanting to rewatch for a long time now. So there's, I'm just excited to go back through and watch a lot of these films again. Me too. I'm excited to check out a lot of these that you mentioned because there was most of them I hadn't seen. But yeah, I'm super stoked on on that. And I know that we missed a ton. Like obviously we miss some of the more obvious ones like Midsummer or the Friday the 13th movies. And they're all there. We could have just a series on summer horror movies. The Friday the 13th movies didn't go anywhere. And lucky for you guys, Ray mentioned The Lost Boys. So we already got our Corey Feldman talk in. We didn't even have to talk about it. Uh, Friday the 13th part four. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say too, before we end this discussion and head on to some audience questions that uh, Ray and I would love to hear your favorite summer horror movies. So either head over to our uh, Instagram at The Real Monsters Podcast, our Twitter at The Real Monsters Pod. You can go to Ray's Instagram at Analog C or my Instagram at My Exit Unfair. Leave us a comment or like say, hey, this is my favorite summer movie. And maybe we'll talk about it on a future episode or at least Ray and I will watch it and tell you how we feel about it if it's something we haven't seen already. Yeah, for sure. On that note, I actually posted on our social media for some people to submit some questions. And I had two really good questions that um, I'm excited to get into. The, the first one comes from, from my buddy Travis. Um, his handle is at Nightwalker22 on Instagram. So go give him a follow. He's the biggest sweetheart you'll ever talk to. So his question, his question is, what is your favorite non-Pixar animated movie? My favorite non-Pixar animated movie? I'm going to, I am going to speak on behalf of him and also say Disney. Let's make it a little harder for ourselves. This is a really easy answer for me. Uh, my favorite non-animated or my favorite non-Disney affiliated animated film is the Charlie Kaufman movie Anomalisa. That is my favorite non-Disney animated film. Yeah, so Charlie Kaufman, I'm sure ev- most people out there, Charlie Kaufman wrote the screenplay for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is what everybody knows Charlie Kaufman for, but he directed three films. The three films he directed are Zenecdoche, New York, Anomalisa, and most recently the Netflix original film I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And Charlie Kaufman is one of my favorite filmmakers, and Anomalisa is a movie that really struck a chord with me not only because of the subject matter it also takes place in cincinnati ohio which makes me laugh but this movie got nominated for an academy award up against a bunch of disney films and it didn't win because you're never going to beat disney in an animated category but it's about a guy who's like a a motivational speaker who goes to Cincinnati to this business conference. And what's really interesting about the film is the actor who plays that character does the voice for the the lead. Every other character in the film is voiced by the same actor. So the men, the women, everyone that comes into play is voiced by the exact same person. 
except for one other character that comes into play in the movie. And it's all about how isolation and loneliness and how life kind of puts you in this place where you feel just alone and like no one understands you and that everything in the background kind of starts to blur to where the menial, awful conversations you have with people like, how's the weather? or What's this? Like garbage small talk doesn't matter and how people search for a deeper connection and he ends up meeting his character who the two of them bond and develop this relationship together and she's the only person in this whole world that has a different voice. And it's, it's just such a beautifully animated film and it really moved me a lot and I think that it's a film that more people need to see not enough people have seen Charlie Kaufman's work I I truly I don't throw this word around a lot but I would call him a genius his movies have impacted me quite a bit and it's one that I would highly recommend checking out I need to see that um I know of Charlie Kaufman of course I'm familiar with his Eternal Sunshine the Spotless Mind so I need to just check out his catalog for sure connecticut new york is like my in my top three movies of all time uh i would recommend checking out his whole catalog though he's just so uniquely incredible and talented and so i would definitely check that out but i'm excited to hear what you have to pick ray it's pretty basic because it's rango i mean Rango's so good i love rango i it's probably my favorite non-pixar movie as far as animation goes, um, I wanted to go deep and like talk about like stop motion because I love stop motion animation, but I can't deny that Rango is probably my favorite animated movie. Um, and it would actually rival some of my favorite Pixar movies, so there's that. But I love Rango because love the type of comedy it has. I think it has some of the funniest jokes that you can that you can think of. It's very adult. Like the humor is very adult oriented. But you can still get away with playing it with a kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not like so over the top that a child couldn't watch it. But I love it. I love I love Rango. I love everything about it. The the voice cast, the the humor. I know we've talked about Gore Verbinski in the past, but I I just I don't know. I have a soft spot for that movie. It's once again one of those movies that came at a really interesting part of my life and it's kind of just stuck with me and I do have to watch it. it. It gets watched multiple times a year for me. I love it. It's it's hilarious, but it's also full of heart. I love kind of the tongue-in-cheek tropes that it has, even like the whole thing with the Spirit of the West, which is a blatant reference to Clean Eastwood. Yes. So I love that movie. Rango will forever be one of my one of my favorites, if not my favorite animated movie ever. Just a quick shout out to like movies like Fantastic Mr. Fox, Isle of Dogs, Kuvo and the Two Strings. Like I love stop motion and I want to talk about all of those. But if I am being realistic, Rango would be my favorite. So yeah, thank you so much, Travis, for getting us going about that question. And then the next question comes from my buddy Ryan at... Uh, rymo.vinyl and he asks what's an incredible movie with really disappointing or underwhelming soundtrack slash score i feel like you and i are going to pick a similar thing so should we just bounce off of each other on this one yeah because it's we talked about this a little bit off the podcast but i feel like this is a really difficult question because there's not and i wouldn't even say the movies that we're picking are like the greatest films ever made because I feel like most of the greatest films ever made 
or movies that like are near and dear to my heart have great scores because of the thought put into them. But yeah, Ray, you can you can uh, say your pick and we'll kind of bounce off one another. So I don't have a specific pick. I just feel like overall, and just to preface things, I do not think these are bad soundtracks or scores. I just, they work great with the movie, but they don't do anything for me outside of the movie. And that is not all of them, most marvel cinematic universe movies yes i would agree completely i feel like you know there's the theme of avengers that has played now marvel uses it as like the intro to everything but like i i can't even really with the exception of like i don't know the sam raimi spider-man films pick out really specifically amazing moments through marvel's whole catalog of having really great soundtracks I, I do enjoy, like, Thor Ragnarok's score. I thought it was great. You know, we talked about the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. Obviously, those are classic. As far as, like, the majority of the Marvel, the MCU goes, I just, I just can't... I don't see myself rushing to buy it on vinyl or something like that. No, exactly. I feel the same way. That's like, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, there's something about it where it's like I can't feel myself getting one of the scores to one of those films and... Uh, playing them over and over again. That's like, I'll kind of play off this a little bit, but I feel like the John Williams scores to some of the more recent Star Wars soundtracks haven't been that memorable. There's been like a couple tracks on it that I've enjoyed, but like, as far as like picking out a real like incredible moment from The Last Jedi or even The Force Awakens, the scores were okay, but like they're definitely not up to the level of like Jaws, like what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, and and to be... And to be fair, the soundtracks or the score, they work great within the context of the movie, but they're just not ones that I'm listening to, you know, separate from the movie. It's not like a, a film that you were going to talk about but didn't. Like, It Follows, where that disaster piece score I can literally put on every day with whatever I'm doing and enjoy every track on it. I feel like there are some scores where I can enjoy... So, like, to give a, a random... A random example, last night I started playing uh, one of my old video games. I don't know if you're familiar with this video game, Parasite Eve. No, I've never heard of it. So it's it's like an RPG horror survival game. And it's for PlayStation 1, so a lot of it is you're just reading. You're not really listening to any dialogue. Yeah. So, so last night I put on my turntable and I threw on my Lovecraft Country soundtrack and I just played that while I was playing the video game. Like, I love nice. doing that. But I don't see myself doing that with like an MCU soundtrack. Yeah, that's like uh, one of my favorite scores ever made is the Johnny Greenwood score to Phantom Thread. It's very like uh, heavy on violin and cello and piano. And Johnny Greenwood also recently did the score to the Sp- the film Spencer with Kristen Stewart from last year. And a lot of his scores are like that to where I can just put them on in the background with whatever I'm doing. And like... I, I think I've played through those scores more than like a lot of like full length records from bands because I just am so into the music. But yeah, like you said, a Marvel score or like one of these new Disney or uh, Star Wars scores, I'm not going to get into as much as that. Yeah. And because like, like you, I like playing the scores when I'm like, for example, if I'm reading or if I'm doing anything, anything to that effect, I last year, actually last year, or the year before, I actually read the book, You Were Never Really Here. 
and I would play the score as I was reading the yes. book. Yes. Thank you guys so much for those for the for the questions. It's kind of nice to be able to interact with some of the things you guys have to ask. It actually is really cool to get to get these questions. Yes, I'm I'm in a hundred percent agreement with Ray. It's so much fun to kind of get you guys' interactions and to hear your thoughts on uh on the podcast and as always you know you can always send us questions i know ray posted a thing about you guys specifically asking questions but feel free to reach out to either one of us at any time we're very responsive we want to hear from you all and i'll give a plug real quick again uh follow us over on instagram at the real monsters podcast on twitter at the real monsters pod or you can follow ray's personal instagram at analog c and my exit unfair for me on Instagram. Yeah, so please do that. Reach out to us. And like Nate said, we're really responsive and we're eager to talk to to all of you. If Especially if you have any suggestions, anything you'd like to add, please reach out and, and let us know. Absolutely. And we're so glad that you guys listened to the episode. And we're excited about next week's episode, which was uh, a topic that I brought up to Ray because I just thought it would be fun. We're getting to the middle of the year. Uh, There's been a lot of films released this year. And so Ray and I thought it would be fun since it's the middle of the year to talk about our top five movies of the year so far. And I'm sure we'll have some overlap because Ray and I have pretty similar tastes. But It'll be fun for us to talk about our top five of the year, and I'm sure that Ray and I will have some things to recommend to you guys that possibly you haven't seen yet. Yeah, so with that said, you know, with all the movies we recommend, and in keeping with today's theme, go get yourself a bigger boat because we have more movies coming your way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I can't agree more. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug or or talk about, Ray? Your new book that you're writing or your new synthwave album you're putting out? My memoir, How to How to Ride the Perfect Summer Synthwave. I'm sitting on my yacht and uh, I'm, re- I'm I'm remixing Jimmy Buffett songs into into EDM masterpieces. It's, it's going to take off. It's going to top the charts pretty soon. You won't even know who Billie Eilish is. Listen, I'd buy it. No, you. I wouldn't recommend anybody. <laughs> I, well, as always, everyone, thank you so much for listening. It was a fun episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take care.